listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. So we are also joined by Doug Town, the chair of Access Ready, who is also a Florida Council of the Blind member, as well as Aaron Wilson, the CEO of Enhanced Voting. So Doug and Aaron, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Clark. And Doug, would you mind sharing a little bit about the advocacy work that Access Ready does? Sure, and it's a real pleasure to be with you all today. Access Ready uh, is a national advocacy organization that works specifically on accessible information and communications technology issues. We were formed about five years ago to work only on these issues. So we work at the national level. Um, I have the pleasure of working with Clark through CCD uh, and and other organizations, and we advocate uh, both with the federal government, but also with state uh, and local governments as well, uh, as well as businesses. But we also advocate with the providers of technology. And we do that by advocacy. And also we do some consulting with those organizations uh, to help them understand why things need to be accessible and how best uh, to make those things accessible. So we also provide some testing and and those kinds of things. Myself, personally, I've been involved in accessible voting since December of 2000, when I realized (laughs) that because of the Florida election, there was an opportunity to bring about accessible voting. And of course, there were a lot of people involved back then, uh, Jim Dixon and others, uh, in bringing about uh, the Help America Vote Act and the standards for accessible voting machines. Uh, I was involved in the development of the Automark, which a lot of you probably know uh, was one of the first ballot marking devices uh, and other accessible voting systems. And we work uh, uh, with other parts of, a, of the election system as well, including poll books. And of course, uh, for the last year, we've been working uh, with enhanced voting uh, on how to uh, expand access to voting uh, that, that what you all have been talking about, but also for groups that are currently not yet served uh, by accessible voting. So that's that's access ready in a nutshell. Thank you. And Aaron, we've we've already heard a little bit from. Uh, it sounds sounds like the successful deployment of enhanced voting that Ian shared uh, from the ACB of New York. But for those who are not familiar with enhanced voting, uh, for those individuals that have not experienced the system in their state, will you please share a little bit about enhanced voting? Yeah, happy to do that. Thank you, Clark, for having uh, having us this afternoon, and thank you all for for uh, being a part of this. I'm I'm really excited to be here. Certainly um, looking forward to, to sharing my thoughts with you all and then you know, taking some questions. Uh, I founded Enhanced Voting in 2013. Uh, I've actually been involved in election technology since 2006. Um, enhanced Voting was started uh, providing accessible uh, online ballot marking in 2018. The first state that we began working in was Ohio at that time. Uh, Since then, uh, the system that we call Enhanced Ballot has been used in Florida, Kentucky, Ohio, uh, New Hampshire, New Jersey, uh, New York, as was mentioned, uh, and Virginia. 
recently, um, we also uh, won the contract for the state of Utah as well. Uh, we worked in a couple of states on a temporary basis, particularly through the pandemic, um, uh, when those laws were changed temporarily or, or those, those um, orders were, were given temporarily. Um, but we've really, we've really enjoyed this part of our uh, overall. We have a couple of different solutions, but uh, just personally, the accessible ballot uh, delivery, marking, and return uh, is one that uh, we really enjoy uh, the space we enjoy providing something that is uh, so fundamental to your to everyone's right uh, private and independent ballot marking and um, look forward to engaging with you all a little bit more so Aaron uh, on in our previous conversation uh, we heard in Indiana and New York the issue of you know, just current state regimes and state systems being, uh, say, reluctant to change, right? We heard about from, from Karen in Illinois and again in New York, the the issue or the specter of security uh, as reasons to not expand access to remote voting in an accessible manner for people with disabilities. Uh, what sort of barriers do, as a vendor, do you all hear, or do you encounter when working with election providers on remote accessible voting? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think I break those down into, you know, four general categories. There's, of course, the legal barriers, which which are most of what you guys have discussed today. And certainly, uh, you know, I have some thoughts on the security argument that, that I want to share. Um, but another one that was mentioned that doesn't get mentioned enough is education barriers, right? Voter awareness. Um, are the states or the local jurisdictions doing enough to make voters aware of this option? And as I tell our customers, you know, it's not enough to make them aware of it. We need to provide them information on how to use it. Uh, we, we often, a lot of our customers take us up on the option to have a demo system available to their voters ahead of time. So the voters can feel comfortable with this option as an alternative to what they're used to, whether that's, you know, going into a polling location or, or taking a, some other option. So the education barrier, I think, uh, is big. Uh, the technology barrier uh, for some voters, um, and that's something that we're obviously working to improve. And then, of course, there's the financial barrier um, and the budgets of local and state election officials um, and how they uh, how they you know choose to prioritize uh, what they're spending money on. You know, for us, it's there, there's really two of these barriers that we have control over um, more than the others as a as a technology company. Uh, the first of those barriers is, is the technology itself. And we certainly do everything that we can to ensure that our technology works across the broadest spectrum of devices and access technology. Um, but for us, that's also meant expanding our offering into electronic return uh, and supporting, um, you know, ballot return uh, using, uh, you know, using the person's computer without uh, printing the ballot. Um, and then second, second to that is the financial piece of that. Um, and so that's what, you know, as we approached you and, and want to talk about this a little bit, we are, we're seeing that in this space that, that pricing is just all over the place. Um, when we entered this space five years ago, I've seen uh, just a great disparity in terms of, of what, 
is being charged to state and local governments for this type of service. Uh, so what we're trying to do now, and, and one thing that we're announcing this month in, in a couple of different venues, um, is a is a fixed transparent price uh, of twenty four ninety nine, you know, for a local jurisdiction for the whole year. So uh, regardless of how many elections a jurisdiction has, regardless of how big that jurisdiction is, um, you know, we're setting a a fixed annual price that local jurisdictions can look to for, uh, you know, and they know that's a reliable price. They don't have to approach us to get any sort of quote or go through any extensive process. So we hope that, that publishing that price, bringing some transparency around this process and the cost of, of providing these services will, will help jurisdictions that don't currently provide an accessible absentee uh, option uh, we'll hope, we hope that that will encourage them and, and take away one more barrier that, that they face. That's great. Thank you, Aaron. And, w- and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, price or I, I'm sure as uh, state elected officials think about it, what's this going to cost, right, um, as they work on their their budgets. But before we go deeper on that, just to circle back to the technology. So, uh remote voting and certainly voting by means other than vote by mail with a paper ballot, that technology is not new, right? I mean, and I guess I'll start with Doug first, but uniform military and overseas voters have been able to vote electronically for longer than people with disabilities. I believe it's now over 30 states allow UACAVA voters to vote absentee via electronic ballot. And now we're over 10 states that are allowing voters with disabilities to do the same. So is is technology a barrier at this point, or is it simply a, an education issue, as Aaron was mentioning? Well, um, first of all, technology, accessible information and communications technology and making that technology accessible is, we like to say, no longer rocket science. <laughs> um, we've we've cracked the touch screen. We've we've uh, you know most of the necessary utilities to make technology accessible have already been invented. Now, as people invent new technologies, obviously accessibility needs to be first and foremost, and that's one of the things we we advocate for. But making uh, products accessible uh, really isn't a stretch anymore. And I think that uh, this this is very important when it comes to opening up accessible voting to disability groups that aren't currently served, like the deafblind, for example. Um, We have been working with Aaron and talking with them uh, and looking at technologies that are already currently in the field that could be adapted to provide uh, accessible voting uh, for the deafblind community, which, uh, and, and of course, once, once we demonstrate that, and, uh, and I apologize, Clark, if I'm jumping ahead on you, but once we demonstrate that, then it's going to be up to ACB and all the other blindness organizations and deaf, deafness organizations uh, to help uh, get that accepted 
uh, under law at the federal level and the state level uh, so that our, our friends who are in the deafblind community, you know, next after that is, is uh, voting for people with developmental disabilities who perhaps do not read. Uh, you know, we know technologically how to resolve these issues. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, but it will take advocacy. But to answer your question, it's not rocket science anymore. And there's no excuse for yeah. inaccessibility any longer. So uh, Karen Campbell, is, in addition to being involved in the voting advocacy for the Illinois Council of the Blind, is also a co-chair of ACB's Sight and Sound Impaired Committee. Uh, mm-hmm. Karen, if you are able to unmute. Yeah, vote, I am unmuted. Is voting <laughs> access something that you hear about a lot from either the SASE committee or the deafblind community? Um. I think it it is an issue. I I don't know. Can't say how much we've heard about it, um, but I think it is an issue. Um, and, is, and is that an issue for in person voting as well as absentee voting? Definitely for in person because a lot of places you can't, for example, can't hook up a, your own braille display to that equipment and they won't they don't they're skittish about it for security reasons um i would think for absentee i can't speak to the solution that we use in illinois it works with a screen reader so i'm told that if it works with a screen reader it should work with a braille display because screen readers power braille displays so I don't know. This is a group that probably under is underrepresented among voters, mm-hmm. and I think there needs to be education to change that. Clark, yeah. if I can jump in for just a second, please give you a little bit of experience that I had. I was at the uh, National Association of the Deaf convention uh, several years ago, um, talking with them about. Uh, accessible check-in at the polls. Uh, And I was um, buttonholed, we'll call it, surrounded by about 20 members of the deafblind community and their interpreters who all said, basically, we know what you've done uh, when it comes to accessible voting, and we see what you're doing when it comes to uh, accessible voting for the deaf, as far as like uh, instructions by ASL and and so forth, which we were there demoing. And they basically said, what are you going to do for us? Uh, And we had quite a conversation. And I said, if we find a solution, it will be up to you to advocate with Congress and your state legislators to allow it. Uh, And that was kind of the the way we, we resolved the discussion. But these advocates were very adamant that they wanted to vote independently and they, they were looking for us. They were looking for a solution. So uh, I was fortunate that a, a year or two later uh, I met Aaron and we started talking about how that might, uh, how that might be accomplished. And I, I don't want to get into the weeds on how it would be accomplished, but we're sure. Uh, pretty sure that, that, uh, that we can do that. And we'll hopefully demo that in the next 
but uh, I'm I'm more concerned about the politics uh, and the advocacy side of of making that happen than I am the technology side. Well, and certainly within ACB, we want to ensure that all of our members, uh, whether part of the deafblind community or with uh, multiple you know, physical mobility, dexterity impairments, in addition to blindness, that everyone is able to access the technologies necessary for accessible voting. And was that, was that Deanne? Yes. Yeah, this is Deanne. Uh, there's two issues I want to bring up that came up just in that listening to that. One, we also did uh, have had the, the experience of hearing from our members that have dual sensory impairments um, that voting in the polling isn't necessarily accessible in it. There are many factors involved that make it inaccessible, such as the noise oh. level of a, in, a, in a polling place. Um, not only but people, the person knowing how to interact with the person with dual sensory. Um, the other thing that it ran into was when we were talking about two our Secretary of State's office and to the Indiana Election Commission about um, going forward with this. One of the things they said is, well, if we're going to make it accessible for the just for the blind, what about other disabilities? And how do we how do we put a ceiling on that? And that required a lot of thought, <laughs> um, especially since I come from the cross-disability community, um, working mm. with independent living for over two decades now, going on three, uh, going on four decades, actually. Um, how, how do you narrow that scope and not infringe on some somebody out there not being able to vote? Um, and But yet we didn't want to open it clear up to the vote by mail population that just wanted to vote for the convenience of being able to vote mm-hmm. from home um, and that. And so that, that is what led us to using the terminology print disabled, because we could, in, we could include people who had manual dexterity issues, learning disabilities, might be able to read the, not comprehend the print um, and, and, and so many other factors. We also realized is that the definition of being able to vote absentee, which is written state constitution, you can be very creative and you can fit into that classification of people who could be eligible to vote absentee. But it wasn't creative. You couldn't be creative enough to make it accept, make the accessible um, absentee ballot fit in there without making it, making some changes. Thank you, Deanne. I want to bring uh, Aaron I back. jump in, in real quick. Sure, we real quick, Karen. Disability is our, it's a basis for ours too. Yeah. So Aaron, uh, hearing, hearing this feedback and the importance for dual sensory folks with multiple disabilities, I mean, that makes the access work that, that you all are doing and others in the field are doing just all that more important. Is this, is this what you hear on a regular basis from the community? Yeah. I mean, it all falls into the same theme of that we've gotten in some States, we've gotten part of the way there with ballot delivery, but you know, as you mentioned earlier, if they have to convert it to a piece of paper, 
it's inherently inaccessible at that point for many voters. It's also, there's also many voters who don't have, you know, many, many voters don't have printers, but many voters don't have computers. So how are we going to, you know, solve the absentee voting for, for voters who do not have uh, computers or smartphones? Uh, and so really it all comes back and it really hinges on the, uh, the legal, uh, you know, issue with electronic return. And you know, that is because once we have electronic return, we can have a fully digital process that we can make available over telephones, um, you know, non-smartphones, non uh, certainly smartphones, uh, note takers, uh, and other, and other you know, sort of broader range of devices once we have um, electronic return permittable. And so I, I wanna talk a little bit about that, particularly the security. I, I have a very um, heavy security background and the, the, the debate has always been, it's either, it's either or, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to I share with you guys a little bit. There, there is a, a technology out there that has largely been in the academic literature uh, for about 20 years. You know, it's not new, um, as, we've, as we've mentioned, but it hasn't been used um, in products. It hasn't been used in solutions that have been sold and it's a technology, it's an approach called end-to-end -end verifiability. And what it is, uh, simply, simply put, is it's a way of protecting the ballot from the voter's device through the transmission and tabulation process. It protects the privacy, it protects the independency, and it allows for verification of, of the parts of that process that the security advocates uh, will claim are the insecure parts, right? So when you're facing pushback in, in legislation and folks are saying it's insecure or it can't be secure, uh, there's a couple of things they're, they're going to point to. And the end-to-end -end verifiable technology and approach actually mitigates those. Um, and so I, I would just encourage, I don't want to take up too much time, um, but if you're going to have that conversation um, and debate around security, um, you know, I would push that, you know, end-to-end -end verifiable approach is both accessible and secure. We're not having to sacrifice the way we've traditionally thought about sacrificing one or the other. Um, we, we really can do this uh, if we, uh, we kind of embrace that. And that isn't necessarily embracing one vendor. End-to-end -end verifiability is not something unique to one, uh, one vendor. It's actually a, it's a, it's a, it's a, more of a scientific protocol you have to follow, but you can implement it a bunch of different ways. So you're not limiting yourself to, to one uh, vendor um, in doing that. However, that is the approach we are taking. Uh, and that is you know, something that we are rolling out this year um, as a part of our solution. So Aaron, we are, we are reducing uh, technology as a barrier, right? As Doug said, it's not rocket science. We're increasing education, both of election workers as well as voters, of what's, what exists, what's out there, what the possibilities are to increase access um, in accessible voting and voter turnout. You just uh, highlighted how we no longer have to choose between security and accessibility. Um, there are solutions that we can have both. Um, the other item that I know some of our affiliates and our members have heard about is the cost of these systems. 
Um, so I'll just ask you to to reiterate what enhanced voting is doing to also you know tear down that pillar of this is too expensive for us to implement for people with disabilities to vote. Yeah. Yeah. So what I've noticed in, in, like I said, we've been doing this now for five years. What I've noticed is that there's a lack of transparency around pricing um, in this, in this space in particular. And in some cases that has led to um, prices that just are, are, are significantly high. Um, So we wanted to take an approach that, you know, where we could offer a, a transparent price that, you know, would sustain us as a company. Um, but would be low enough that even rural jurisdictions um, across America, of course, large jurisdictions as well, you know, could afford it. Um, and so we are, are announcing a, a program where we're offering our entire solution. There's no, uh, we're not cutting, um, you know, any accessibility. We're not cutting any, any features for voters. Uh, it's our entire solution uh, for, for $24.99 for up to 250 voters in the jurisdiction. And so that's, you know, roughly $10 uh, a voter. Um, We've seen cost, you know, 10 times that for small and medium jurisdictions um, across, you know, the U.S. So, um, you know, that's that's what we're rolling out this month. Uh, Again, we've we've built the system to this point uh, to where, uh, jurisdictions, our implementation time is very limited. Uh, our feature set has now been, you know, pretty well proven that m- most jurisdictions in America can use our system without us having to do any custom work for them. Uh, so we're now able to basically price this as a as a traditional commercial offering, um, not as any sort of custom uh, developed offering. You know, so that's what allows us to, to put it out there as a fixed price. Uh, and I hope just the, the uh, transparency of that and the predictability of that, you know, will help jurisdictions that are, that are on the fence uh, to, to be able to come around. Um, so. That's great. Thank you. And uh, I apologize, apologize to our listeners that we are uh, nearing the end here. Certainly, I, I could keep this conversation going all day. I, uh, love the work that our affiliates are doing so that people with disabilities can exercise you know, their rights um, within our democracy. But Aaron, if folks want to learn more about enhanced ballot and enhanced voting, um, how, where should they go or how can they get in contact? Yeah, so, um, and I had mentioned, I wanted to mention this too, we would also extend the option to, to use our training and demonstration system. So for any of you that want to do that, or just want to reach out and talk to us, uh, we have accessibility at enhancedvoting.com. Uh, again, that's accessibility at enhancedvoting.com. Uh, feel free to reach out to us there. Uh, send us your name and, and your local jurisdiction uh, so we can get you access to our training and demonstration system. Or if you want to follow up with us, have any follow-up questions, um, since I know we're about out of time, I'd be happy to take those over email as well. Great. Thank you so much. And for all of our voting advocates out there, but certainly on this panel, uh, Deanna Hart from ACB of Indiana, Karen Campbell from the Illinois Council of the Blind, and Ian Foley and Martin Kale from ACB of New York. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. 
and Doug Town from Access Ready, as well as Aaron Wilson from Enhance Voting. Uh, thank you for your support and the work you all are doing to make voting more accessible. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org. Thank you.